Welcome to Volcano Bake Meat, episode 9. Are you sure we played the same game? I'm Paige. I'm Connor. I'm Grant. And I'm Jeff. Yeah, Jessica is out tonight. She is doing the actually employed human being thing. At the uh, unnamed retail store. At the unnamed game retailer. But we will be soldiering on tonight and talking about choice in video games, what it means when a game lets you choose things, what it means when a game doesn't let you choose things. And I think to start off our conversation, I want to ask, what is your favorite game choice you have made? Uh, I want to go all the way back to Baldur's Gate. So one of the very first Bioware RPGs. And, well, actually I am talking about Baldur's Gate 2. I'm specifically talking about Throne of Ball, which is absolutely enormous. I've risen to godlike levels of hitting people in the face and causing them to explode. I've gone through all these different twists and turns. I've discovered that my character is the son of a god, and I've killed whether my reasoning aside, I have in some way, shape, or form killed all the other children of that god, meaning I'm the only one left. And I have the option at the very end of ascending to join the gods as the new replacement for my dead father, and I can become a benevolent god, I can become an evil god, or I can reject it and stay human. And in my opinion, in that game, there aren't many reasons to reject it. You've The whole game has been building towards you becoming a god. But the way I had played the game, I had actively pursued a romance with one of the NPCs, and we had had a kid. And that kid was sitting in that NPC's inventory, taking up, you know, <laughs> The kid was in your inventory? Yeah, the baby takes up an inventory yeah, slot. the baby takes up an inventory slot. This was like 99, 2000, man. Cut him some slack. Was your NPC lover a kangaroo? <laughs> no, it was a half-elf. Uh-huh. Uh Oh, no, it was a full elf, never mind. But, uh, just, I remember looking at that little line of text I had, option one, option two, option three, and thinking, okay, so I can become a benevolent god, I could become an evil god, or I could be a dad. I choose dad. I choose dad. (laughs) I was like 12 or 13 years old, and I'm just like, no, no. I choose dad, damn it. Choose dad snake. (laughs) Choose dad snake. And and you know what? I'm still happy with that decision. I really think I made the right choice. Because the one thing which stayed consistent throughout the entire playthrough, despite all my twists and turns on my path to godlike power, was my party. I had a party, I found them, I stuck with them. They were my chosen family in that game, more so than my dead father. And that, to me, speaks across eons, I guess. Going to sort of the opposite end of the spectrum of RPGs, I want to talk about Chrono Trigger. Mid-90s to late-90s JRPGs are not the kinds of games you usually consider as being ones full of choices. Making choices that affect the story are usually considered a Western RPG thing, but... In Chrono Trigger, and I'll talk around it because I know none of you have played it, and I want all of you to play it, but there's no secret that one of your party members is a talking frog named Frog. (laughs) Cleverly. Who is a knight and a frog, and is hands down the best character of the game. 
Okay. He is the Garrus of, of Chrono Trigger. If you <laughs> yeah. don't love Frog, you don't have a soul. And fairly early on, shocker, he wasn't always a frog. He's been cursed. Okay. And there's a point, not getting into too much detail, but there's a point later in the game where you're given a choice. If you make one choice, you get another party member who joins your party. But if you make the other choice, you can break the curse on Frog, and he can become a human again. Regardless, they they hand wave some excuse of, well, the curse takes time to wear off. So he remains a frog for the remainder of the game. And the only difference is purely cosmetic at the end of the game in endgame cutscenes. He'll have been reverted back. If you chose. I know that, because I never choose the other party member. Right. Yeah. And now you'd think, like, more party members is good. That's how JRPGs work. You want to have everything at your disposal. But the way that I play the game, Frog is my bro. And it's that loyalty to the character of Frog that makes me choose, no, I'm not going to let this other guy join me. I'm going to make sure that this curse is broken by the end of the game. And I so can, I can really respect that. Yeah, as you could imagine from my perspective. Yeah, no, in dad man. Yeah, it works. It works great with your example. Yeah. So it's interesting that it's in a genre that doesn't usually have a lot of choice-heavy stuff, and the difference is purely cosmetic. And so it's really choosing: Do you want this particular edge in battle because it's a very powerful party member that they offer to give you? Or do you want this little thing that's not even going to affect the main story as you're going to play it, and really is only going to affect your headcanon of what happened after the game? So the player has to make that choice. And I just think that's really interesting, especially considering a game that came out in 95. I also like that, because it is staying true to its lore in that it actively punishes you for making the decision which... Making the selfish choice. Yeah, making the selfish choice. It's a realistic view of what would happen. You know, they aren't going to work in an excuse to give you the other party member anyway. They're just letting it ride. And I really respect that. Yeah, and so not only is it a choice where that party member's gone now. Like, you kill that party member. That's the other choice. You kill that party member. Oh, oh. So that, okay. So yeah. the frog's curse is broken. Yeah. Um, wah, wah. Yeah, or you let him join you, and then Frog's curse is never broken, and so you have to make that values decision. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's even heavier than I thought. That's awesome. That is quite awesome. I played yeah. a little bit of Chrono Trigger, but nowhere near that far. Yeah, it's it's rel. It's about halfway through the game. Okay. Well, my choice for a favorite, uh, well, choice that I've had to make in a game, and this is actually surprising since this the game itself is actually not high up on my list of favorites. I haven't played it that much. I only played through it really once. Fallout 3. There was a choice I made that really stuck out to me. And interestingly enough, this actually was not really a scripted choice in the game. So in Fallout 3, you can find, wandering through the wasteland, slave traders. And they have slaves who have these collars around their necks that Mm -hmm. will explode if they're attempted, they're tampered with or removed without disabling them properly. And you have to have a pretty high electronics check or something like that to actually disable them, whatever point is i was walking through some decrepit city and i found a slave trader and i was like well that sucks so i killed the slave trader because i felt it was the right thing to do yeah and tried to free the slave but realized i couldn't get the collar off so uh, the first temp- t- uh, time i attempted it they done exploded uh, so i reloaded <laughs> a save and just killed the slave trader and figured you'll just be a person with an exploding collar uh, it wasn't much better that didn't really sit well with me. So later, I happened to stumble across 
the hub of the slave trade. Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls. Basically, this is where the slave traders come from. This is where they keep the slaves. And it's this actual community. So there's like, there's a saloon, there's people who live there, there's a store. Their whole economy is built around the slave trade. And I tried to go in, and I talked to the guy, and he realized, he I, he said he wouldn't let me in unless I brought him some slaves, or people, or slaves that escaped or something. And I was, and basically, he didn't give me any options I liked. I either had to, like, buy slaves or bring him slaves, or something like that. I just, it really bugged me. So I was like, ah, well, crap. So I started to leave, and then I realized, and then I stopped and just said, no, you know what? Fuck it. Justice Rampage. <laughs> so I literally just, like, hid behind a rock. Blew him away from far away with a rifle. R- proceeded to rampage through the entire town, killing everyone. I love when you have the moment of, wait a minute, I'm in a Bethesda game. Hulk out is always an option. And you know what? I really had not done anything like that up to that point, because I really, I, had, I was not used to playing such open world games. So I was just like, screw this, and literally just mowed down everyone. I would like hole up in, in like stores, wait for the other NPC to come through, and then just like shoot him with a shotgun. And I literally killed the entire town except for the slaves. And I just let them all go. And Did you ever pump your science score enough to free them? Uh, I'm assuming I did. Otherwise... <laughs> it makes a better story. It makes yeah. a better story. Let's say I did. I did something similar in New Vegas with uh, the Caesars Legion. I just went to their island and murdered everybody. It was great. Yeah, but for me it was just the fact that the game's world allowed me to do that. Like, it didn't necessarily affect the main plot line, right? Or anything like that. It wasn't a scripted choice. But I was like, I don't want to follow the script. I'm going to do this. And I did it. And the fact that I could do that was pretty cool. Yeah. I like that everyone's decision was big and epic and noble. Because mine is tiny and petty. In the game Dragon Age Inquisition, there is a mission where a high-ranking political figure is going to be assassinated at a party. It is your job to go in, make nice with all the people at the party, and try to figure out who the assassin is. If you make nice with enough people, you have the option to bring the assassin in alive. That's the way Grant did it. He actually gave them a job as his court jester with yes. really ugly shoes. Yeah, so it was, you'll be the jester for the Inquisition wearing the ugliest shoes Leliana can find. I played as a Kunari because Dragon Age is all about fantasy racism. Nobody likes the giant horned people. Which most of the time didn't bother me because I was like seven feet tall and could, you know, kick any of their butts. But that meant on this mission, I did not have the choice to stand up and say, this person is the assassin, bring them in. So I actually had to fight them and kill them if I wanted to stop the assassination attempt. I still got the chance to execute judgment over them, even though they were already dead. (laughs) What? (laughs) I chose community service. Well, hold on. How 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 was the how was the deceased brought before you? Uh, in a box. <laughs> in a box. In a box. The 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 body was in smaller pieces. Okay. If I remember correctly, the uh, body was put out for other nobles to see as a this is what happens to you if you mess with the Inquisition. Oh boy. And uh, the box was used for a children's puppet studio or like a puppet uh, show. For a show on the evils of evil. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> specifically on the evils of evil. That's totally well, brutal. And always well, great to help out your community. And I thought this was the end of it. And I was like, that was kind of cool and funny and horrible. A few missions later, or a, a mission came up that at about that time of year, the assassin would hold a big giant party. So what is the Inquisition going to do so they don't lose power or show weakness? How do they keep the nobles on their side? So I decided that the party should still be held and the Guest of Honor should still be in attendance. 
<laughs> oh god. Unfortunately, that's one of the little text missions you get on your on your command board, so you don't get to see it really play out. Aww. But I like the image of just a fancy noble soiree with just a box greeting people <laughs> at the door with flies buzzing around it. That is totally metal. And speaking of metal, I have one game choice that I want to throw out as an honorable mention. At the very beginning of Brutal Legend, <laughs> you get to choose whether you want to include gore and swearing, and you get the option to disable gore to be kid-friendly, or to enable it when it gives historical realism, adds to the impact of the storyline, or looks really awesome. And the literal option is yes, but only if it looks really, really awesome. (laughs) And I want to throw that out as an honorable mention for one of my favorite game choices I've made. Well, for profanity, the no is, no, it's funnier if you bleep it. And then they proceed to bleep more than just swear words. At one point, <laughs> they, really? Yeah, at one point they bleep the word metal. <laughs> metal. It's, it's fantastic. There are a lot of games that do not have any choices, but there are other games where you have many, many, many choices to the degree where no two people will be playing the same game. Undertale comes to mind. So what's better? (laughs) (laughs) And you were saying you don't want to be here all night? Um, Well, I'm just going to dive right in, and I'm going to say it's better to have personalized experiences. While some people would argue you can craft a more effective storyline by railroading the player through certain choices and making everything happen a certain way, I would argue that being able to customize your experience and really live in the world, create your own headspace, creates a much more authentic experience. It's, in my opinion, one of the main differentiations between a movie and a game. I can read a book, I can watch a movie, and get railroaded through just as many choices, watch the character agonize, view beautiful acting, or I can do it myself. And that, to me, is much more powerful. And that's one of the reasons why I like video games. That's true, but I, you know, as the one who's punching in the JRPG's corner, I think that if that were entirely true, we wouldn't have quite as many of the video games that are so incredibly celebrated for their story and for their character work and everything like that and yet are completely linear and then at the same time are games that could only work as a video game i'm thinking of i guess the first two bioshocks don't really count because there are choices in those but bioshock infinite is a relatively linear experience yeah there are little choices you can make along the way that change how things go but correct me if I'm wrong bioshock infinite only has the one ending right yeah, it only has one ending. Yeah, only yeah. one. And, yeah. and the choices you do make are really not that they're, consequential. No, they really total are. total red they're, herrings. Yeah, yeah, they're minor. Which is part of what makes it so interesting. But at the same time, I don't think you could argue that Bioshock Infinite... I mean, it could work as like a novel or a film, but it wouldn't be the same. It, it, it I think that... No, part of, part, of, part of what made Bioshock Infinite so great was just the being immersed in that world and experiencing everything firsthand. Yeah, I think tying choices into what makes video games unique isn't entirely getting the full picture of what makes video games unique. It's not getting the full picture, but in terms of determining whether it's better to have choice or not, 
I think it's better to have the choice. Even the little bits that you got in Bioshock Infinite, for me, made it all that much more interesting. I don't think one is better or worse, but I think that there are values to both, because I'm going to just sit on that fence as hard as I can. Okay, yeah. But I think one thing that Grant says that has value is just the ability for a game to pull you down with it. Uh, I know I've mentioned on the podcast before the probably the best game that I will never be able to play. That Dragon Cancer is a game that was created when a family was going through their child's terminal cancer. There is no way to have a happy ending. Part of the point of the game is that you just kind of have to make it through, and at some points, things will happen. There are even scenes where you can't do anything to make that scene end. It will just eventually end. And because you don't have choices, you are pulled into that family's experience and forced to see things through their eyes in a very visceral way that maybe another format, like a documentary, would not do that in the same way. Right. I think it's a matter of scope and what you want to go for. I think Connor's Fallout 3 story is really cool because he was in his own character's headspace. And in his own character's headspace, he said, you know what? No, these guys, these slavers are a bunch of scum and the wasteland will be better off if I get rid of them and mow them all down. And that's really cool and interesting and has its own weird sort of drama to it. But I think if we're going for the more traditional idea of having compelling drama in a game, I mean, obviously you can get it in a game with choices like Mass Effect, but I think it works best in a directed experience. Just just today, actually, I finished playing Tales of Zestiria, which is it was a pretty good game, and I'm going to recklessly spoil the ending. The plot is a very straightforward, you are the Shepherd of Light, and you have to stop the evil Lord of Chaos. What makes the game so cool is that the characters are incredibly well done. And there's a point later on in the game where, uh, actually, actually at the very end, the main villain has basically absorbed the power of your main character's grandfather, the guy who raised him and your, one of your other party members. And so the only way to stop him and save the world is to basically have to kill your grandfather. It's, it plays off very cheesy of, oh, will you be able to do it, Shepard? And it's, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. But then you do it, and you're not given a choice in the matter. You have to beat the boss or else you get the game over screen. And I was like, okay, whatever, here's the part where everybody gets sad. But they dialed the drama up ridiculously, and it worked. Because they have the big anime clash, and there's the flash of light, and he's gone and everything. And then both of the heroes that were raised by this guy are legit on the ground, screaming and crying in pain. And you'd think that would be really melodramatic and obnoxious, but the way that the voice actors made it work, it worked. And for that second, I was like, right, that's why the character work in this game is so good. They're invested in stuff. (laughs) And, oh, yeah, they did, I guess they did just kill the guy that was basically their father. Hmm. It, I think you can't quite get that in a game that's just making your own choices because you can't get quite that focused of an experience. I think Mass Effect probably gets the closest because it's a little more railroaded. So one thing that games like that do, though, it's it's maybe it's not they specifically give you a concrete choice, but they put you in the mindset that you did make that choice one way or another. This more goes into the whole role-playing side of things or being in that character's shoes kind of thing, being immersed in the game. But actually, Jessica, via text message, had a very good point to make here, which I think is kind of relevant. She feels choice in games is important for giving the illusion of freedom in a world with more restrictions than reality. I know I talked about Fallout 3 and that being an open world and me just being like, I'm just going to do this. But that really 
didn't affect anything. It, it really, it just made me feel better. It made it more interesting for me. I mean, when you think about it, games are incredibly limited. They're a very specific world. There is logic. There, there are rules. There are boundaries. I suppose in the real world there is two, <laughs> technically. Not but, as many. But in the game, you're only given a few options. And the real key is giving enough choices to make players believe that they can do whatever they want or let, that they are doing whatever they want to do. And even in games that might be more quote-unquote railroaded, where it's more of a linear story, the ones that succeed, and I think the ones that players really latch on to, are the ones where they feel like the character they are playing as, they can sort of put themselves in that character's headspace, and they feel like they are making those choices that the character makes. I'm going to pull out a weird example. And I think one thing that we're saying is that choices allow you to create a really great individualized experience. It's not just, this is the story that was laid out for me, it's this is the story I'm choosing. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the possible strengths of a story that you experience the same way is that when you meet someone else who has played that game, they had that experience. If you talk to someone else who played Chrono Trigger, you're going to be like, it's a frog, right? But you know the same things and you went through the same things together. The TV show iZombie has one moment that always rang incredibly false to me, where these two guys, people have been pushing them together to meet and be friends. They meet and they're awkward until they start broing out about Diablo 3. <laughs> but the thing that's fake is they start talking about weapons and what weapons they have, what loadouts they have. They're like, oh, you got that, I got that. Diablo 3 has procedurally generated gear. I was about to say, isn't it random? I mean, there are <laughs> uniques, and at higher levels, you do aim for certain uniques, but you also generally don't hold on to a piece of gear for long enough to really become attached to it. What they were trying to recreate is an experience of sharing something in a game and knowing that you both love something enough to have experienced it and love it together even if you were in different places and didn't even know the other person existed. But that was a false recreation because there is so much freedom and so much randomness in the game of Diablo that that would not be a thing. Although its plot is a straight railroad. Its plot <laughs> is a straight railroad. It's, it's like a railroad through the Midwest, like <laughs> Iowa. So you're just sort of going along uh, and nothing interesting happens. That sounds awful. Yeah. Having come from the Midwest, that sounds awful. Is there lots of Ronald know, Reagan references of... throughout the way? There's enough to kill on the way that I don't care. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to speak to Jessica when she's not here to defend herself. Yeah. Because yeah. that was her text message that mentioned the idea of giving you the illusion of choice in a world where you don't necessarily have as much. But I think what makes for a good, strong choice, what makes these choices that we talked about at the beginning good choices versus bad choices, is that, while strictly speaking, yes, it's the illusion of choice to give you freedom in a world where you don't have as much as in real life and all of that, I think what makes for a good choice is when it it isn't just an illusion, when you really can feel that consequence bounce back at you. When you mentioned Dragon Age Inquisition... You made a stupid little choice on the chopping block of, oh, I'm going to send the box off and do community service, tee hee hee. And then it came back at your war table of, no, you went with the box thing and we're going to roll with this. Mm -hmm. And you had to make more choices about it. So even if it was in little ways, you were like, oh, that's kind of cool. When I first played Mass Effect 2, I had spared Fist in Mass Effect 1, the yeah. crime lord Rex yeah. sends you after. So then in Mass Effect 2, he was at a random bar in the Terminus system. And I walked up to him and, and just pressed A to talk. And he didn't even have a dialogue tree. He just turned and went, uh, where, where do I have to go to get away from you, Shepard? Let me drink in peace. And he went back to doing what he was doing. And that's all he does. Yeah. But they put that in there. And I think that's what makes a strong choice. When a game 
really is the choice is just an illusion, that you feel that. In Dragon Age Origins, I felt like none of my choices mattered. And that was something that really frustrated me. They'd offer you a bunch, like six different choices in a dialogue, mm -hmm. and they all were basically meaning the same thing. No matter what you chose, it was all the same thing. Yeah, that's one of the things that still really frustrates me about Wolf Among Us, is at the very end of a game, you make a decision, and... I forget what his name is. It's the Toad's son. And it says he will remember that. And it's at the end of the game, so it has no consequences in-game, implying that it would do something in Season 2 of Wolf Among Us, which is in development hell. And so that decision <laughs> will probably never matter. And yet, and it yet, hangs over you. It hangs... He will remember that. <laughs> he will remember he that. He will remember yeah, that. Well, I, think, I think that's the thing. TJ was his name. I mean, TJ, yeah. If I mean, to sort of go slightly off topic, but to bring it back again, mm -hmm. is... Define illusion, right? It's something that isn't real, but that you tend to believe is real. I think when it comes to games, and really any medium, but especially with games, if it wasn't emotionally evocative, it may as well not have happened. But if it is emotionally evocative, it may as well have happened. You get upset playing some of these games. You get just overwhelmed playing some of these games, whether it's you know positive or negative, happy or sad. But if a choice is presented to you that you make, and it registers with you emotionally uh, on that level, then it feels like a real choice. Even though, really, when you think about it, no, it's not. It doesn't exist. It's it's, it's all fake. But It's not going to affect your life. Yeah. But it affects you in a very real way. And in that sense, it has impact. You're talking about games having real impact due to the choices you made in the game. I want to take this opportunity to talk about Spec Ops The Line. Okay. Listeners, I gotta tell you, this is major, major spoilers here. Enough that I specifically want to call it out. So about midway through the game, you're traveling through Dubai, and you get to a point where you have a mortar with white phosphorus. And you are facing, you can see on thermal, because there's a big sandstorm coming through, you can see on thermal that there is just a mass, a mass of enemies that you could never hope to gun your way through up ahead. And you have to make the choice, do I want to use white phosphorus, which is banned by, I believe it's the Geneva Convention, I don't Something know. like it. Yeah, it's, it's oh, nasty right. stuff. I was it's, wondering what the deal, I'm like, no, it's, it's phosphorus that's white, who cares? No, clearly it, clearly it's mean, a bad thing. No, yeah. it burns, it burns like ridiculously hot and it sticks to your skin. It's hotter than oh, napalm. Yeah. Right. It makes napalm look like a match. It doesn't, necess it doesn't necessarily just kill, it's cruel. It's, it's incredibly it, cruel. It is yeah. beyond cruel and unusual. And you have the choice to use this stuff, and I remember when you play that section, you're just watching the mortar cam. You have the little thermal vision, and you have a little targeting beacon, and you say, okay, you move it over, you click the button, and you hear your main character shout to his guys, launch a mortar at this position, and then a moment later you see a bloom, and then all the little dots go out. Mm. And you proceed to go through this, and as you're going through this, more and more lights start flashing behind you, and you can see your character's face on the screen. And you find yourself metaphorically looking into a mirror mm -hmm. as you're just wiping out all of these little dots. And then the scene ends and you're like, well, I feel like a god now because I just wiped out so many enemies. <laughs> and you, fall, you go down the ladder and you turn around and it's hell. You see what you did. You see what you did. Right. And it 
fucks with you. It fucks with you just there as you're watching these enemies wander around as they're burning alive, just nothing left. They can't... They they have been so scorched, they don't even feel the pain anymore. Their entire body is covered in third-degree burns, those who aren't dead. And you're just walking through what literally resembles hell. More than Doom or Wolfenstein or any of the other, you know, this is really bad games that I've played. It's It's awful. And you get to the final giant mass of white dots. And you realize that you bombed with white phosphorus the last bastion of civilians. Mm. And that fucked with me. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. I was not okay. I was not okay at all. And I find myself thinking again and again and again... Did I have to use the mortar? There, the ladder was right there. Could I not have just gone down the ladder and tried to do it the old-fashioned way? I didn't have to do this. Right. I have played this game once, and it was years <laughs> ago now, and I still think about that, okay? Yeah. <sighs> well, the thing well, is, actually, there is culpability. Video games have played a lot. Bioshock is a huge one. About what your culpability is in games. Undertale is probably another one. Yeah. Undertale, under, that's pretty much what Undertale's all about. about. Where the question is, when you don't have a choice, are you responsible for what you've done just because, you know, the game made you play it, but you could play the game. But when you make the choice, when you had a different option, what does that mean about you? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Suddenly yeah. the game played you, and how do you feel about that? Yeah. It's like Soviet Russia. And so there <laughs> are, choice <laughs> makes you. Exactly. Well, there are really two ways to look at character choice is that this allows you to create a more full character. It's kind of the almost the D&D approach where you are building this character, and when you have choice, you can make them more of who they are. Mm-hmm. But also when you give a character choice, you are making them more of who you are. Yeah. And that's going to mess with you. Yeah. Because sometimes more who you are does not have good consequences. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, actually, Undertale is a really interesting example just... I'm still planning on playing it. I'm sorry. This is another Volcano Bake Me talks about games I have I mean, played. I have played it. Yeah. And just... Well, I just remember hearing an interview with a creator who doesn't give out many interviews. Toby but, Fox. Yeah, Toby, Toby Fox. Fox. And uh, the interviewer asked him, when you're playing video games, have you ever been bothered when you just have to take out a random mook? Just like a little monster or something. And he was like, every single time. And... I'm guessing having played Undertale, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. That Uh, does make perfect sense. Yeah, for anybody who's unaware, somehow. The whole idea of Undertale is that it's a pretty straightforward, Japanese-style, turn-based RPG, but you don't have to kill any enemies. And in fact, the only way to get the best ending is to go through the entire game without killing any enemies. You can end every encounter mercifully. Yeah, you, you can either do it by getting them to low health and then choosing to spare them, or you can just interact with them. There's a dog, and the dog attacks you. You just pet the dog. And if you pet the dog, then it doesn't want to fight you anymore, and you can just end the battle. Yep. And that's it. And some of them are more complex than that, but it makes the boss fights interesting, because what would normally be a random, oh, okay, in like a regular RPG, oh, this is the water boss. Okay, it's a weird water creature, and throws water lances at me. Cool. But you could choose to fight it, but if you then, if you choose to actually go through and do everything you need to do to end that boss fight peacefully, you learn more about 
Undyne as a character and who she is and what she wants and her relationship with the other characters that you've met. She actually ended up being my favorite character in the game. Mm. And you get all this really cool interactions and some of the better written characters that we've gotten. Um, and you kind of, if you go like I did and do the full pacifist route, you kind of get the opposite of the Spec Ops The Line moment. Yeah. Um, whereas that fucked you up for a while. I felt really good walking out of Undertale because... I made friends with everybody, and I solved the situation, and I got a lot of these people who had been convinced that humans were bad, and humans are only out to hurt us, and humans and monsters fight, and that's what they do. I got, I convinced all of them, hey, maybe humans aren't so bad, and maybe we can coexist, and that was really cool. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that makes Undertale interesting is those decisions isn't, it's not easy, it's not do I be the good guy or do I keep hitting it in the face? If I be the good guy, I just say hello and it is nice. Like Being the good guy is hard. Being the good guy is hard and it gives those those decisions weight. And I haven't played it on Genocide, but my, my understanding is if you play it on Genocide, it will mess you up. Yeah. Wow. Especially okay. <laughs> especially if you played a pacifist so you know all the characters and now you're strolling through murdering them casually. I would like to bring up an entirely different form of player choice and this is... This might be veering too far off topic. When I was in 6th, 7th grade, when I was young, I played Master of Orion 3. And this was an interesting game in that there was no storyline. There was no, you know, player arc. The idea is you you pick a race and you expand and in some way, shape, or form dominate the universe. Whether that's through political intrigue, military might, economically strangling your opponents to death. Like Civ. Whatever. Yeah, like Civ, but on in, a, space. in space on a very different scale. Uh, I choose to play as Space Gandhi. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> that's actually exactly what I did. Yep. I picked the race which is they are parasites. So the actual race is just a little organism that infests other people and then takes over. So you were so, the Zerg? Not, not the Zerg. Uh, flood. Closer, closer to the Flood, closest to a Yerk from Animorphs. Hmm. Uh, it, it was more of a big starfish type thing that would like latch onto the torso as opposed to a little slug that went into the air ear, but whatever. Let's flavor which Nightmare Page is going to have tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I do apologize. The point is, the Harvesters had a bunch of advantages. They had a better social system. They were able to squeeze more out of their workers, just better militarily, all this stuff. The thing is, they were universally hated by every other race in the game. So if you chose the Harvesters, you were going for a military victory, and that's exactly what I did. Now, me being a kid, I decided to go for the biggest possible game, so I chose a giant universe with as many enemy races as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, there were nine other races, eight other races in the game, species, I should say. I controlled a full third of the galaxy, and every turn, every single one of my star systems on my border was just hammered by enemy fleets and planets worth of resources were being destroyed in every single battle I would have I had every single one of my planets in my colony pumping out as many military ships as possible just trying to expand I would take a system probably every 20 turns and I just kept pushing out grinding and I remember in my head I remember all of the political alliances that were going on with my enemies as I slowly move forward, the 
more I moved forward, the more resistance I got, how bitter the resistance was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember subjugating planets and you know, seeing the little sit rep pop up. There's unrest here. The workers are rebelling. Blah, 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 blah. Man. And, and all, the, all this stuff. I care not. Exactly. But Bring I, me more pudding. <laughs> <laughs> what I specifically remember is the choice that I made at the very beginning of the game of how I wanted to set up the universe created an entire space drama that, for me, I still think about. They're rebooting Master of Orion, and I'm very excited for it, but I'm also poor and can't buy it right now. My point is, there are also different levels of choice where sometimes you can go with the more obvious, do I break the curse on Sir Frog, or do I get this powerful party member? But even in games that don't feature choice as a mainstay, you can still get gameplay-oriented choices which end up re- resonating with you. And I, I just think that's worth mentioning. Well, I think that that brings up an important point. There's a difference between the choices that are given to you, and that kind of goes back to Jessica's point of creating the illusion of choice in a world with very definite barriers. But there's also games that kind of just leave it open so you decide even what kind of choices are there are to be made. Which is kind of like my Fallout example, actually. Uh-huh. So that's I, I like that point. There are kind of those two different types of choices. And that brings us to another example is XCOM. XCOM and XCOM 2. You can make the choice... I remember I blew up one of my high-ranking soldiers to take out five enemy aliens and end a campaign. Yeah. I, I just sacrificed him. I was like, no, you're dead so that I can get out of here and save the rest of my squad. And it no- sucked, but I did it, and it was worth it. And no one ever sat in a writer's room saying, I'm going to mess with Jeff. Exactly. <laughs> and then they'll have to decide whether they want to blow up their 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 their, their soldier. No, that, that, that that's... Just, that was just the game. Yeah, that right? was just yeah, the, the game. game playing out how it works. But yeah. by the way it works, it becomes a choice. It does. And that, in a way that, in some cases, depending on how kind of into the game you are, because I think it's fair to say, and this might be something worth discussing, or maybe not, either way. But There's definitely a whole can of worms in there for another episode. <laughs> yeah. You're saying what I'm, I think you're about to say. Probably. There are, the people, there are the people who can play XCOM uh-huh. and become attached to their soldiers and become emotionally invested in losing them as you play through the game, and they're the people who just fucking blow through XCOM because they're, it's a numbers game to them. Yeah. You know? They just like the, the combat, the tactics. The, blah, 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 the, the, the soldiers aren't people. They're little guys on the screen. They're pixels. You know, what's funny? When I play XCOM, I get very attached to my soldiers. Yeah, me too. When I play Fire Emblem, where the characters actually each have their own individual personalities... I yeah. usually don't care. <laughs> it's weird. You think like, hey, they, someone actually took the time to craft this character and make them a person with hopes and dreams, and part of what makes it interesting is that that character can die. I usually don't care. It's like, uh, Boyd died again. Well, Boyd sucks anyway. We'll, <laughs> do, we'll carry on without him. He was dead weight. And we'll just keep rolling. Whereas with He was like, already dead in my mind, really. Yeah, whereas with XCOM, I'll be like, Moose, no! I'm going to restart the mission, because Moose died. Random silent tank. He was my just... Canadian support named Moose, and I had to save him. <laughs> yeah, and that's all about... That goes back to Jessica's point of the illusion of choice. Because these are choices which the developers have set up the groundwork for us to make for ourselves. Which, in my opinion, can be so much more powerful. I want to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, to the most definite choices you can make. Because it's not an episode if somebody hasn't said the word telltale. We got a bell. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a real bell, by the way, not a fake one. Yeah. I can't believe we didn't... 
ding it for Baldur's Gate or Mass Effect. We're getting better. We're getting yeah. better. We're learning how to use the bell in the most so obnoxious the way more... possible. Not only does Telltale just have choices where it's obviously choose this, choose that, which way do you want to go? They will tell you at the end of an episode whether people agreed with you. That's right. They, give, they give you yeah. the breakdown of who picked your choices. There is not a right or a wrong, but there is a family feud style, did other people do what you do? Yeah. And there's something kind of gratifying about seeing that you made a choice that you didn't think was obvious, but you thought was the right thing to do. And you were in the 61% who thinks like you do. Well, it's funny because I found, like, we just recently went through the first season of The Walking Dead. And I think with that more so than Wolf Among Us, it was very much everything was either you and 80% of players did this. Like, everybody did this. Uh-huh. Or it's almost 50-50. Mm-hmm. That's and what I've, I liked about some of the choices in Wolf Among Us. I haven't played Walking Dead, but I played Wolf Among Us. And whenever I came across one that was, like, basically 50-50, I was like, well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember in the first Walking Dead, I can't remember what the choice was, mm-hmm. but I remember it came up on the screen, you and 12% of players did this. And I, I, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> There's a point in the game where, because it's The Walking Dead, survivors can die, survivors can leave. In the final chapter, I want to say, yeah. you can do things. Like, it can tell you how many people will be in your party. And so you can see, for every person who has played this game ever, how did they sort out their party? Who did they let die? Who did they let stay? Huh. And so you can kind wow. of get a cross-section of the human race, or at least the telltale Walking Dead playing human race, by just looking at that one screen and seeing how people chose. It's almost like... Not quite a Myers-Briggs test where you go on Wikipedia and see, like, I'm the 13% of ESTJs. That's actually fascinating, though, because many of these games, the only way you can really find out what someone else did is you just have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Or or you have to, you know, go onto some forum or or some Reddit site and share your opinions, which on the internet is always a risky venture. Yeah, yeah, it is. But that's... I think, I mean, way back we mentioned that, I mean, one of the whole things with, with choice is that it personalizes your game experience. That's really kind of one of the main tenets of video games, period, is that everyone kind of sees it their own way. I mean, that may not be, maybe, maybe that's not through choice, it's just through your own worldview or how you choose to perceive characters and, and, other, and other events that happen in a game. But I'd be curious to see that. I should play Walking Dead now, because I'd like to see an actual breakdown of, like, no, this is literally what everyone else who has played this game has done. Well, and I think one of the other interesting things about that is, uh, I think Grant was saying earlier, I forget if it was on mic or off mic, that the problem with Mass Effect when you're trying to look at the choices is that most of the major choices, either, you know, one character dies or the other character dies, and they kind of go on to do not much in the further games, and so it doesn't matter as much, or there are games with obvious, or choices with obvious right and wrong choices, like, are you the jerk or are you the good guy? Yeah, uh, it was off mic that I mentioned it. But yeah, it's like every choice, and I love Mass Effect, but every choice in Mass Effect is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. There is there is the right and the wrong thing to do most of the time. Or when they do back you into the difficult situations, like in Mass Effect, like in Mass Effect 3 in particular, there are a lot of times where it's like, you have to choose between this group and this group, and it's a mm-hmm. tough choice. Unless you put in the bare minimum in Mass Effect 2 to actually get people to get along even a little bit. In which case, there's an easy way out where everybody wins. Yay! Yeah, and I think the interesting thing you get with 
Telltale Games giving you that percentage. Unless it's a decision where it's like, well, you do this or that, flip a coin, and every it's about a 50% choice. There are some decisions that were hard decisions. But when you see that decision has about a 50-50 split instead of like a 90-10 split, you know that the writers put in enough effort to make an actually challenging, interesting, deep choice that people have different opinions on. And to, bar- to borrow some, some terminology from like writing uh, or, or English, whatever it is, but literature, literature, whatever it needs to be. Um, but it seems like because I've been thinking about there's kind of two different choices that we're talking about. One is more some choices are just more like flavor. Some choices are more with characters. Other choices are just literally what direction does the plot go, left or right. Um, and sometimes they don't feel like they really matter at all because they are either obvious, <laughs> as in. Why would I not do this? Like, unless I just wanted to be like, well, my character's a dick. <laughs> Click. But that's 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 still kind of empty. I think what, what we're looking... I think the, the way to phrase that is choices need to have something at stake. Mm-hmm. And, or, or even you could also say it needs to have weight. Even if a choice is just you save the puppy or you kill the puppy, that feels like a pretty obvious choice. Most people are probably not going to ever want to kill the puppy. Unless the puppy was the reincarnation of Hitler or something. In which case, you'd think about it. But even then, it's a puppy. Sitcom. The, the puppy might get a puppy second Hitler. chance. I'm actually, I actually stole that from Venture Brothers. Um, <laughs> but... but the, So it doesn't even necessarily matter whether or not the choice is story-oriented or character-oriented or just flavor. Something has to be at stake. Whether in-game or, or out-of-game. Like, like Jeff said with Spec Ops The Line. Mm-hmm. I mean... I'd argue that something was kind of at stake with using the white phosphorus or not, but chances are, I mean, I mean, we'll never. I've never played it, so I don't know, and none, the rest of us here haven't really played it, so we we don't really know. But maybe you could have gone down the ladder. Maybe you were kind of forced to do it. Yeah. But what was at stake was how you felt about it. Yeah. Was can you feel comfortable seeing this, the results of what you did? And that's very real. That's heavy. That's the way. What I mean by weight. That's, yeah. That's choices need to have that. If they don't have that, then, I mean, maybe this is a bit of a bold statement to make, but they may as well not be in there. Yeah. I think, uh, not not to harp too much on Mass Effect, but I think the one that always stands up to me going back to the first Mass Effect game, when you go to Pharos, uh, the colony's being controlled by the Thorian. After you blow it up, and then that one Asari chick comes out, and it speaks through her, and you sort all that out, and she gets her control of herself back, and she's like, oh what do we do now? I want to help these people. You have the option of either go help this colony or I'm sorry, but you need to die for what you've done. (laughs) Yeah. And I've never clicked it, but I'm assuming that Shepard can just pull out a gun and blow away this random Asari who was just being used as a hand puppet for the Thorian. Yeah. And it's like, why would you ever do that? Especially since... That's that's, killing the puppy. Especially since in that situation, it becomes clear that she was doing that not under her own exactly. control. Yeah. She had she had no control over what happened. So it's like why that choice might as well not be there. I feel like because the way that may be mishandled and this may play into something else is the writers or the game designers whoever designed that choice I think decided a bit too much for the player. Mm-hmm. Like your two options are decide to listen to this Asari and show mercy and let her try and undo the wrong she did or be a person who believes in cold hard justice no matter what it, 
and, and just pay, you know she has to pay for her sins like renegade that's kind of like whoa you're kind of making a big, big assumption about the player here I think I think you need to at least leave some blanks right like the only person who would choose that is someone who actually thinks like that of like no I don't care how sorry you are I don't care what the situation was you did this therefore this must be the reaction that's that's really very specific that's a very specific personality type well, and that I think that is really not not a very well designed choice because you're really funneling people to more way more towards one than the other and I think when the choices are like that, when they're so obviously a false choice, it would almost be better if the choice wasn't there at all, because if that choice hadn't been there, you might have, I mean, you'd probably still remember the Asari that you let help the people, but you wouldn't be complaining about it, you know, X years later. Yeah. So I think, just to go back to something, I think what, what makes choices in games really matter is not just the, the fact that they are emotionally evocative, you know, that, that they may be an illusion, but they but they feel real. It's that they actually have to be something believable and actually have something at stake, if not actually in the game, just something that you would actually care about. They need to be a little bit mean to the player. A little bit. They need to be a little bit mean and say, no, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You need to pick something. That's you need to too. make a decision. Although, there, if used sparingly, there is a value to having your cake and eating it too. Because there is a value, Mass Effect is a bad example of this, but there are many that are good examples of this, where if you fight, if you put in the effort, the game gives you a little bit of reward for putting in that effort and saying, hey, this decision would have been terrible either way, but because you cared enough to put in the work, we will give you this gift. But that weight is given to that gift because they don't always do it, and because those bad decisions have emotional weight. Undertale. Yeah, Undertale is a great example of that. You can fight for it, and you can have it all, but you got to really work for it. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. It's not the easy choice. I would like to bring up an example of a botched execution of that. I think that the first Bioshock actually really botched the execution on that. Because if you remember, you have the option to save or harvest the little sisters. Yes. And if you save them, you get 80 at them. If you harvest them, you get 160. Yeah. Which is a lot, a lot more. And it would buy you a lot more upgrades, except for the fact that every three little sisters you mm -hmm. rescue, you get a gift from Dr. Tenenbaum of 200 Adam. <laughs> so, and extra stuff, too. And extra stuff. So let's think about this. Let's not even think about the extra stuff. If you just look at the numbers, 80 times 3 is... 8 times 3 is... 240 Adam for three rescued little sisters versus 480 Adam for three harvested little sisters. But then you add the 200 in there, it's suddenly a difference of what, 40? So the only reason actually, to... I think your numbers might be off because I'm pretty sure you actually end up being even. Really? I'm, I mean, you've played the game more than I have, but I'm fairly certain you actually end up even... And it's just that delayed gratification for harvesting them. Yes, yeah, so the only reason to really continuously harvest little sisters is you're either A, cruel, B, impatient, or C, <laughs> bad at math. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think one example of this that I'm going to pick a game with all the decisions in it Skyrim. Okay. There are beggars in Skyrim mm -hmm. where you can choose to give them a coin. Mm -hmm. And if you give them a coin, you get a small bonus. Yeah. Well. It's not like real life at all. I guess you feel good that's a bonus. Yeah. Exactly. The thing is that 
they have this option to give the, you this little facet of real life and this choice, am I the kind of person who gives money to a beggar? Is that the man I have chosen to be? But you don't really have that choice because of course you're going to give money to the beggar because giving money to the beggar gives you a boost. Yeah, it's but like one gold. It's one <laughs> yeah. gold for a buff. Yeah, it's yeah. one gold for a buff. and so It's a small buff, but it's a buff. It's a steal. Yeah. You're well, basically- like, I would love to walk down the streets of downtown Seattle and just be like, hey, what do you buff me with if I give you like five bucks? And the answer is meth. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. The answer is I'll get my ass beat down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would. But or you could do the same thing in Fallout 3 where there was the guy outside Megaton who wanted water. Oh, yeah. So once you got the house in Megaton, you had the butler who would... Who made water. Who made water. So yeah. if I... And you only got... You didn't get a buff, you just got karma. But it's like, I want to max out my karma. I would just... And I just run a little circuit back and forth, just giving them water. Boom. You could, you could literally I'm, go massacre a town of children and yeah. then just literally just keep force-feeding force this beggar water and be like, you're a good person. Yeah, like suddenly I'm the second coming of Jesus because I gave this dude way more water than he actually needs. But I think the thing is, you have... It's creating the illusion of choice to be a good person and give the beggar money for nothing, but really you're giving him money for the boost. It's for the boost. There's not much of a moral choice there, right? It's more of like a... Well, it's more of a tactical choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's like doing the side quest to get the XP. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're helping these orphans, but really you're in it because you're just that little bit away from level up, and if you do this fetch quest for them, you'll, you know, be able to put new points into whatever the thing you want is. Mm-hmm. Like... It's, I think, it, it, it gets, it's in video games getting too tied up in being video gamey, and video games should be fair. We can all agree a video game should be fair. If a video game is unfair, it's not fun, and you don't want to play it. Yes. But that only applies sometimes. A fighting game should be fair, that the characters should be balanced. Yeah. Overwatch should be fair in that the you know the server should be stable enough that you can play. Final Fantasy game should be fair in that there isn't one spell you can take that suddenly renders everything obsolete. Oh, wait. But when, <laughs> it depend, depends on the game. But when it comes to moral choices like that, I think what we're getting at is that the key to making an interesting choice for the player is to make it a little bit not fair. It's not fair that when you were playing XCOM, the only way to get out of that random mission. It wasn't even a big mission, was it? It was just a random mission. No, it was just one of the missions that popped up. Yeah, the only way to get out of that random mission was to sacrifice one of your team members who you'd probably put a lot of time into leveling up. Yeah, he was my he was my colonel. Yeah, and that's not fair. It's not fair that you got screwed over by a random encounter like that. Not even a big boss, whatever. Yeah. And yet, that's what made it interesting. Yeah. It's not fair, some of the choices they put you in in Walking Dead. of like, And some of the, even some of the things that happened in Walking Dead... You don't have control over. I remember there was one I won't say out loud because Connor hasn't played it. The part when we were playing it, one character just got shot in the head, mm-hmm. and yep, it's a lose, I remember lose. that. Yeah, and and we both went whoa, and we stopped, and we're like, okay, <laughs> hold on a second. We like that character. Was there any way we could? And we Google. There's there, no way. No, there's nothing. This, that character's gonna die. That character's dead. There's nothing you can do about it. And I guess yeah. that's not a choice, but that's not fair. And some of the choices the they give you are like the only choice you could make is that character could die earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I actually really respect Telltale in this case for that because that shows a rock hard dedication to their to the world that they have created and to the source material because the comics like that too. Yeah, no, they they looked at what they've done and said, okay, these characters are on this path. Does the main character have a reasonable opportunity to change it? Yes, no, no, they do not. They don't get to change it. This character dies. End of story. And I think. Unless anyone has any objections, 
I think that's both a really strong argument for both when choice is strong and when lack of choice is strong. And I think um, we're about at the hour mark. That's a good place to stop. Um, Aside from the fact that we could continue about this for hours. No, this is definitely our not our last episode. I never want to stop. I never want to stop. We're going to take a quick break from our regularly scheduled content. The Molasses Round is still coming up, but I wanted to take a quick moment to talk about another podcast that I've been listening to a bit and I've been enjoying. Bits on Hits by Kevin and Pops. They kind of do what we do, except a little different. If you wish that we focused on a specific game, that is what they do. They spend about an hour, an hour and a half breaking a game down into its components. They did a recent episode on Papers, Please. And they broke it down not only into why a paperwork simulator is worth playing, but they also took a time to talk about communism and its ramifications on the game. And they just break it into the components. It's actually really cool. So if you've got some time, if you need another video game podcast, and if you want something that isn't just news of the week, but steal our place in your hearts, try Bits on Hits. Plus their name is better than ours. It is. It's catchy. It rhymes. Ours doesn't. Nice job, guys. With that little bit out of the way, we are going to move on to our molasses round. Molasses Molasses round. round. Molasses round. This episode, we've made some good cases for places where choices are not always beneficial. We are going to make some cases for places we really wanted a choice. Guys, pick a game, add a choice to it, and make it better. Or funnier, because this is the molasses round. (laughs) Uh, I'll start. Yeah. Um... I'm sure most of you are going to pick games that are good mm-hmm. and make them better. You don't know that. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I'm going to take a game that's bad and make it a little bit better, but also just kind of make it more true to the characters. I'm going to take Final Fantasy VIII, uh, which... You probably butthurt a lot of people just now. I butthurt a lot of people just now, yeah. but those people are wrong. Because <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII is... <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII is a bad game. Uh, the story makes no sense. The characters are all incredibly flat. There are some choice plot twists at the end of the game, or near the end of the game, that render any point of sense out the window. And the main character needs to get over himself. And one particular of those plot twists involves the fact that the people who run the mercenary high school you've been attending have been hiding something from the party about their past. They forgot about this because the magic creatures that you use to summon in battle also cause you to lose your memories. It's mentioned in one scene and never again. Okay. <laughs> but they, they somehow magically forgot the fact that they all grew up together in the same orphanage. Hmm. And the villain you've been fighting up until this point is the main villain. So the entire game you're magic roofing yourself with dragons. Except they're not dragons, but yes. Well, some of them are. Yes, you're magic roofing yourself with dragons. Just wanted to be clear. Yep, just getting that that clarified. So they're all like, oh, we grew up together and we forgot, and our mercenary high school principal and the evil sorcerers we've been fighting are actually married and ran the orphanage together. Okay. And you kind of just roll with it and keep doing what you've been doing. Okay. I want the choice at that point, that crucial juncture of the game, to either continue along with Headmaster Sid's lies, not his lies, but his misleading, and let him let him hear hear him out, 
and keep going with the way the game actually went, because he does have reasons for what he did. Or embrace the fact that Squall is just a hormonal angsty edgelord, and decide that you can't tell me what to do, Dad, and have <laughs> the rest of the game be about destroying Seed and burning Balam Garden to the ground. Just, just go full eyeliner death metal. No, not eyeliner death metal. Eyeliner pop punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hop in your airship and just destroy everything. Burn it all to the ground. Murder Edia. Murder Headmaster Sid. Who cares what's going on? And then Squall and Renoa take a trip to Hot Topic and get all decked out in, you know, their best emo goth punk gear and just rule the world as some sort of dark husband and wife. And just let that be the end of the game. I think you're missing the most important choice that you could have made here. And that is the choice to put the game down. Oh, we all have that choice. (laughs) That choice exists from the very beginning. Yeah. I actually want to do a couple of games. In fact, I, I want to do every game. There is a single choice that I want to add to every single game that was ever made. And for those of you who played Pokemon, I'm sure that you remember near the very beginning of the game when Professor Oak comes up to you and says, Now, are you a boy or a girl? And I want to see that come up in every single game I've ever played. I want to see that in Gears of War. When Marcus walks out, I want Dom to say to him, Now, are you a boy or a girl? And Marcus look at him, The fuck do you think? And I want to Player see that... Player sucks, girl. Whoop! <laughs> and I, I want to see that in... Uh, I was wrong. I want to see that in Halo, when, uh, when Master Chief first wakes up and steps out of the cryo tube, I want the technician to be like, now, are you a boy or a girl? And Master Chief just looks at him. Doesn't say anything because he's Master Chief. Jen Hale's voice just says what the Or fuck she's Master no, Chief. No, no, no. The dialogue box comes up, you select, and nothing changes. <laughs> I, wa- I want to see that in, uh, in the Stanley parable. You know, the little screen that you're looking at at the very beginning, it pops up. Are you a boy or a girl? <laughs> I kind of like the idea of playing Stanley as a girl because then Eric would make fun of you for having a really unconventional name for a girl. Exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I want to see that everywhere. Okay. Every single game ever made. I don't think there's a game which couldn't be improved. All right, Soap. Are you a boy or a girl? <laughs> exactly. Come on. Just imagine Price shouting. That's, Frogger. That's, that's it. Uh, yeah! yeah Miss Frogger! Frogger. The there bow. you go! I'm like, girl, Are you really? Just whips the ghillie. You gilly. need to wear a bow? Is that what you're saying here? No, I'm saying in the 80s, that was how they differentiated. <laughs> we only well, had so many wrong. pixels to work with. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not true. Miss Pac Man also had a beauty mark. She did. And lipstick. Yeah. Alright, so for my more serious answer, I would have liked to see at the end of the first Bioshock game an option to take over Rapture and, you know, be the new head of Rapture, but be a benevolent ruler, rather than the egomaniacal lord of Adam that they portray you to be if you choose the evil ending. They just kind of funnel you into either you're a really good guy who rescues all the little sisters and takes them away from Rapture, or you take over Rapture and use its Adam to take over the world, as they show with splicers hijacking a submarine or something like that. Yeah, it's a nuclear submarine. Yeah. See, I would like the option, because Andrew Ryan had a dream, and 
Which I is would very like, different from Martin Luther King's. Yes. <laughs> very different from Martin yes. Luther King's. But I would like to see the option to buy into the dream. To believe in it. Hmm. To take up your father's mantle. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. And actually, I'd like to go next, because mine is actually somewhat similar. I had a, I had a more funny one, but then I thought of actually a, a better one, which was kind of serious, which I think would be really cool. So my game also deals with the concept of timelines and how flexible those may or may not be and it's Half-Life 2 oh so and one of the cool things about Half-Life 2 if you've never played it is it leaves a lot of blanks for you to fill in and it it, it does fill in many of them as you go but it leaves a lot unsaid which is kind of cool it's like one of those old sci-fi stories where they just don't tell you really what's behind the curtain but you're afraid of it anyway because they present it very well they give you the right blanks anyway um part of the plot of Half-Life is that there's clearly some time travel shit going on. And you're not totally sure how, but there's some warping of physics happening. So, certain things seem to be preordained, right? Like, there are certain things that you get the impression you can't really change. One of, one of them is that Gordon... One of the things that they imply is that Gordon Freeman fights with the Rebels to help free humanity from the Combine. The oppressive rule of the Combine. I would like to play Half-Life 2 with the choice of you can side with the Combine, like Dr. Breen. Because at some point in the game, you realize that Dr. Breen, the mayor or whatever of City 17, is working with the Combine. And you actually get to talk to him about it, confront him about it, because you're a fucking freedom fighter, right? You're destroying Combine buildings, you're freeing people. You confront him about it. And you realize that he's not hes not doing it because he's a dick or that he's brainwashed. He just feels like this is the most rational option. And he's disappointed in Gordon as a scientist, as a man of science, a man of logic and reason, that he doesn't see it the same way. And I wouldn't pers- personally, this is ironically enough, since this is a discussion about choice, I don't think I'd personally go that route if I were to play it. But I would like the option if you could alter the timeline. And Gordon says... Yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to side with you, and you help the Combine <laughs> just take over the Earth, or whatever it is they're really doing. Uh, yeah, we still don't really know. We still don't totally know, right? It's, 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 it, there's, a, there's a, like I said, a lot of blanks to fill. But I think that gives it potential to be a really interesting story. And part of the Half-Life 2 is you keep seeing the G-Man, who may or may not be Gordon. I will be shocked if he's not Gordon from I the will, future. I will also be shocked if he's not Gordon from the future, but... Uh, but he definitely makes statements that imply that there is some sort of control or influence over the timelines. My guess is that he's the leader of the Combine. It could be. So, the point is, I would like to see the option to fuck shit up a bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or just maybe the G-Man goes, wait a minute, that wasn't supposed to happen. Or something like that. I think that could that could make things interesting. Yeah. I'm going to make a game a whole lot shorter. Okay. <laughs> And I'm going to suggest a, a change that cannot happen because this game is actually a prequel. Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep is a game where you play in three timelines. One of the timelines, or it's three parallel stories you're playing as three characters going through the same series of events. When you go through as Terra, who does most of the screwing up, there are some times where you can... I would make different choices than he would, but you can see why he makes the decisions he does. There's information that's kept from him, there's information that is not given, and people react very quickly. And he's really bad at identifying Disney villains on site. He is. 
So, the change I would make to Kingdom Hearts at uh, Birth by Sleep at a couple key points is just giving you the option for everyone to stop for a second and actually explain what's going on and communicate like human beings. <laughs> like, hey guys, actually, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's. Can we? It, it looks like you're killing my friend. Oh, well, it's for the greater good because of these, ex- like, long explained lore reasons. Yeah, like, uh, I don't agree with what you're doing, but I understand your motivation now. Let's talk about this like adults. And see if we can find a new solution. <laughs> yeah, that would have, yeah, that would have uh, rendered the entire Kingdom Hearts saga unnecessary, because it would have <laughs> just solved all those problems. But, you know, it would make it a better game, because the game very much suffers from horror movie syndrome, where the only reason, like, bad horror movie syndrome, where the only reason bad things are happening is because people are not acting like human beings. Yeah, they're making dumb, dumb decisions. Yeah. It's the idiot plot. It's the idiot plot. Yeah. Stupid teens. <laughs> so I have another thought. This isn't for a game in specific, but I've always liked this idea. We've all played the game where you're running around, you're doing the thing, and then... I've done that many times. I've done the thing. Maybe I've done the thing. two-thirds of the way through the game, you find out that the person who was sending you to do the thing is actually the villain. <gasps> We've all played that game. Yep. Yes. It happened in Bioshock... Actually, in the original, original Metal Gear, Big Boss is Snake's commanding officer. Mm. And it isn't until the very end when it's like, I was actually the bad guy all along, Snake, and you have to fight Big Boss. That's like the first Metal Gear. The very first Metal Gear, yeah. Yeah. So we've all played that game. So I would like to see a game like that, where you play through the game as normal, and then you get to the end, and after you beat it, you get New Game Plus. Uh, I'll use I'll use Xenoblade Chronicles as the example because it has something like that. So you could beat Xenoblade Chronicles, then you could start New Game Plus of Xenoblade Chronicles, and as soon as the game starts, you turn around, and you can stab this person who is betraying you <laughs> immediately, right at the outset. You can act on that information and just kill them. Like, uh, like in Modern Warfare 2, the guy who's actually the villain is in the training level. Yeah. So... You I want the option to go like, pop. Yeah, I want the option to go blam, blow them away, and then play through a whole new story, knowing that and or, thwarting that and acting on the information you already have. Where none of that plot actually came to fruition. Yes, it would actually work best for Xenoblade Chronicles because part of the point of Xenoblade Chronicles is the main character has future vision. Ah. So you want Run Lola Run? Yes. The game. I want. Yes, I want Run Lola Run the video game. Guys, we already did an adaptations episode. <laughs> <laughs> Still want it. <laughs> I think that would be a really cool way to, like, invert that usual trope. I like that. Yeah, of like, well, I've got that information tile. So, really, you think you're done, and you're just halfway through. There's a whole second plot line. Now you can start over and be like, well, now I know what's going on. <laughs> All right, let's go. They're going to do this, 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 and this, and now the bad guys have to react because they know you're onto them. Hmm. That could actually be a fascinatingly fourth-wall-breaking game. I would, I would play the crap out of a game that actually did that, Bully. especially if they didn't advertise it at all. And it's just after you beat the game, then you get New Game Plus, and then it just goes from there. Hmm. Hi, this is Paige. Uh, we had a little bit of a problem with Audacity while we were recording, and so we actually lost the last couple of minutes of audio. Thankfully, there wasn't anything that interesting there. Just us telling you that if you are like our episode, that you should join in the conversation. When are you glad you had a choice in a game? When do you think linear storytelling is better? And are there any choices you wish you had? Thanks for listening to Volcano Bake Meat. Join the conversation online by visiting our website, volcanobakemeat.wordpress.com. 
emailing us at so simply very good at gmail.com, following us on Twitter at so simply very good, good spelled G U D like a lolcat, subscribing to our subreddit, our volcano baked meat, following us on Facebook at volcano baked meat radio, or checking out our YouTube channel, volcano baked meat. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast or review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Our opening theme is Techne, which is spelled T E X V N, and you can find its work on SoundCloud. Our about page portraits were drawn by Sarah Tillery. Her art can be found at stillsart.tumblr.com, and she is open for commissions. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.